Hi, welcome to Not All Lawyers Have Law Degrees, plus other useful things we found out about becoming a lawyer and the people that do. Hi, I'm Bridget. I'm a lawyer in the BBC's legal team. In the first episode of our podcast, I spoke to barrister Mossen Zaidi. On the face of it, his career looks like a really linear line of incredible success, but he was really honest in our conversation about some of the mess-ups he's made along the way and the challenges he's faced reaching where he is in his career today. Mossen became a solicitor before becoming a corporate crime barrister. Now, that's not the typical route to becoming a barrister in this country, so we wanted to meet someone who trained to be a barrister straight out of university and see how that panned out for them. Plus, of course, barristers do all kinds of law, as well as corporate crime, like Mossen, so we wanted to explore that as well. So my colleague Kush went to meet Hashi Muhammad. You can hear more of the amazing story of how Hashi came to the UK as a child refugee and ended up at the bar on his audiobook on BBC Sounds and in his hardcover book. Remember those? But here's a chance first to listen to him give a whole lot of really valuable advice and tips for those who are thinking about pursuing a career in the law. Hashi is now a barrister specialising in planning and environmental law, which even he admits isn't everyone's cup of tea. It is both one of the most interesting and most dull thing you're ever likely to do, if I'm honest, because planning is something, planning and environmental law really is something that I fell into by accident because it was one of the areas that I was exposed to when I started doing my pupillage. And so I never for a moment thought that this was an area that I was going to make a living and and practice in. But somehow uh, during my training, I thought maybe I can explore it some more and see where it takes me. But planning and environment law really is about our everyday lives, whether it's about housing or the lack of housing that we see around the country at the moment, whether it's about people building illegal extensions in the back gardens or the air quality that you breathe in or the landscape views that you enjoy when you're walking into lovely parks uh, around your area. These are all fundamentally important planning issues. And people often I say to people, you really fully appreciate what planning is when the next time you're on a plane, when we're allowed to get on planes and you're flying over the country and you see those brilliantly symmetrical streets and buildings and houses and you go oh wow doesn't that look cool but well that's the moment you should realize that those things don't happen by accident that's proper planning over a number of years and so that's what I do really for a living and I I really enjoy it it sounds very tangible in terms of kind of buildings and streets and gardens and landscaping that sort of thing a lot a lot more a lot more tangible than than competition law that's for sure yeah Competition is definitely very intangible. Um, and what do you find more most interesting and most rewarding about your job? I think the, the thing I find most rewarding really in my job is how much of an impact my advice, my strategic advice, my direction, my sort of thoughts and ideas and contributions can be really sort of monumentally making a difference on the ground. You know, I I love working in areas where now I can actually see a development that I advised on being built out and is actually receiving people who are now having homes and Mm. 
living in them and so on and so forth. So I really, really do enjoy being in an area where my advice can make that much of a difference in people's lives. You're making me wish I did planning an environment instead of competition. <laughs> <laughs> um, so how hard do you work? What are your hours like? Gosh, I mean, my, my hours are varied really because um, it really depends because sometimes we are in the middle of an inquiry and if we're in the middle of a public inquiry, I could literally be working from, you know, six in the morning through to 10 p.m. at night and then picking it up again for six in the morning consistently for a period of sort of eight days, including weekends. But then sometimes if we're not sort of gearing up to a public inquiry or in the middle of one, I could be doing two hours one morning and then relaxing for the rest of the day. I could be having three meetings in a day or just one meeting in a day. Um, or I could be doing a hearing and then taking a couple of days off. So it really, really varies. And the intensity isn't always the same. It just depends on what you're doing. It sounds like you do work very hard at, at periods, but I understand you weren't always this hardworking. And when you first came to the UK, um, things were a bit different. I mean, what was it like for you then? Yeah, it's a very good question. I mean, I, I came to the UK as a as a young and accompanied child refugee. So it wasn't as if I came here in very particularly um, easy set of circumstances. It wasn't something that 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 we chose to do. My father had died when I was nine. Um, my mum didn't come with us, and we turned up in the United Kingdom at a time when we were carrying a great deal of trauma and, and difficulties. So I wasn't the most uh, attentive kid at school. I, I wasn't always the best behaved. I always got into a lot of trouble. And I don't um, I don't condone that to the kids listening. Uh, pay attention at school. You will always do well. Listen to your parents. Um, and yeah, so it was really a mixture of um, me trying to catch up a lot later in life and a huge amount of luck that has led to me to being where I am. But school for me was a real blur in where I didn't pay as much attention as I would I should have. I didn't work as hard as I, I should have and could have. Um, but I guess that's all history now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, did you know that you wanted to be a lawyer when you were at school? Not at all. Even at the age of 18, I did not even know what a barrister was let alone how to become one. And so for me, that experience was all quite distant and foggy. And I, I did I did obviously apply to study law at school, at university, but that's purely because of the fact that I thought I grew up in an environment where I didn't know my rights, where we came as refugees where our, our status was extremely precarious, where no one ever explained to us our rights, still less our responsibilities. And so when I was going into university, it was more a case of just saying, how do I find a way in which I both understand my rights and responsibilities, but crucially to become a more active member of society? And that's basically how it happened. And so what I would say to young people who are still at school and trying to figure out who they are, there is plenty of time in the future to to decide what kind of career you want to be. 
you are much better placed to try and concentrate those formative years of when you know you're young and your early teens to mid teens to early 20s just figure out who you are enjoy life make your mistakes and 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 don't worry too much about the future that you're unlikely to be able to control at the moment yeah i think it's there's lots to be said for finding out who you are first um and not everyone does that i think it's a, it's a really really good bit of advice so at what point did you work out who you were and kind of was it when you went to Oxford or was it before that? After I did my A-levels, I thought to myself, I want to take a gap here to really understand why am I here? How far did I come? How much further have I got to go? And part of that involved going to Kenya to visit my father's grave. Part of that involved trying to understand the circumstances in which we left And I think when I came back, there was a real sense of clarity that came out of that journey because what what it did for me then, and I was only 18, 19, was I said to myself, gosh, you know, I have a lot of catching up to do. I have a purpose. I have a role to fulfill. I want to push myself I want to make the most of the opportunities that are available to me. And I really, really want to push things as much as I possibly can. How did you um, translate that sort of motivation, that drive and that change that you described to a, to a place at Oxford and, and ultimately onto a journey at the bar? It was not an exact science, um, Kush, because it, it really was trial and error. It really was a case of saying, okay, now I want to do this undergraduate degree and let's see how that goes. And in that undergraduate degree, I was doing law and French at the University of Hertfordshire. And then I thought, hmm, okay, maybe I want to be a barrister. Maybe I want to go into the foreign civil service. Maybe I want to be a journalist. But what is it that I really want to do? And and again, what dawned on me was I can't work for anyone. I can't have a job where I have to deal with a boss and appraisals and pay rises and have to ask somebody else to approve my holiday. And again, that that comes part of that journey of understanding who you are. And so when I kind of understood that and that clicked for me, I was like, okay, great. If If that's something I have understood, then what career would allow me to do that? And naturally I came to the conclusion that it was going to be the bar because I'm self-employed, how hard I work will determine how far I go and so on. This year will be exactly 10 years almost since I started my pupillage. And so time has flown really, and it's amazing to see how far things have gone. How did you go about applying for and obtaining your pupillage? I don't want to make it sound like the days I applied, the internet didn't (laughs) exist, but this is, you know, 2009, 2010, a lot of this information wasn't that available. But back when I was applying, they used to have what's called a pupillage handbook. And the handbook had within it, every single set of chambers had advertised within this handbook what their set's about, what areas of law they do, what their pupillage award is, how their application process works. And so I just scoured through that. I spoke to and wrote to various individuals in these sets to kind of ask for advice about, you know, what they look for, how the interviewing process works. I took people out for coffee and tea just to pick their brains. 
But it's really important that anyone listening to this who's planning to either apply for pupillage or, or, or a job, when I talk about doing your research and approaching people, it's no good to just simply write to somebody completely randomly and say to them, hey, I'm thinking of applying to your set of chambers. Will you meet with me so that I can have a coffee and tea and, and I can pick your brains? It's really important that you understand these people are incredibly busy. And so by all means, write to them. But you have to have a very specific reason for doing so. And you have to have a, 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 a very specific way of galvanizing and getting the information that you need without dithering or wasting people's times. Once you did your pupillage and you had been called to the bar, did you feel that you then fitted in and were you able to fit in? Do you feel comfortable now in, in what you do in your environment? I have always felt comfortable from day one, really. I mean, the only thing I haven't felt comfortable about, which to this day I still don't in some respects, is you just don't know everything. You know, because of the area of law that I'm in, every single piece of advice, brief question that comes in, almost always there is something that comes up that I haven't come across before. And so that for me is what keeps me really on my toes and which makes me nervous to this day about whether or not I, I, I can do my job properly. But that is something I'm glad is there because it means that I'm not going to get complacent. It means that I'm going to prepare extra hard. It means that I'm going to continue to ensure that that I don't let, you know, my guard down and think that I know it all. It sounds like a sort of a healthy, healthy level of kind of, of hunger of for knowledge and that sort of thing that keeps you going rather than questioning your position. The, the, the other thing I wanted to, to ask you about was financial barriers. And once someone is called to the bar and is a people one for yourself, when you were, how is it financially? How, how, how did you survive when you were first building your client base and people newly qualified barrister? It's a very good question because once you're in, you obviously have access to what's called the pupillage award. And the pupillage award um, pays a one year's guaranteed salary to you as part of your chambers. But after that, you're on your own. And that means that you are reliant to an extent for chambers to help you build a client base, but also to an extent that you have to build your own client base. And that may take some years, in which case what you're looking at is a situation where for the first sort of up to five years of your career, you're reliant on chambers to feed you work and to an extent generate your own work, which isn't always easy. And I was always acutely aware of that. And it's not easy and it's hard and it takes time. And so I was very fortunate that, that a lot of more senior members of chambers brought me into cases uh, a lot of people who were on holiday, whose cases I covered and whose clients came back to me was often the, the benefit of that and so on. And so the first sort of five years of the, of the job is highly, highly precarious. And you have to have the discipline, the patience, the perseverance and the determination to really develop your practice and hope that, that, that that's going to come off sooner or later. It was about 
seizing opportunities when they came. It was about, and this is perhaps the most important thing, it was about every single piece of work that I touched had to be outstanding and it had to be done to the highest possible standard in order for clients then to know what you're made of. And then once the clients know what you're made of, once the clients understand the quality of your work, they will come back themselves. You don't need to worry too much. Where do you get your confidence from? Oh, dude, I'm going to be here all day <laughs> if you ask me that. Uh, it's it's very hard to explain where I get my confidence from. I mean, it's just a, it's something that that has developed over time. Nobody's born confident. Mm. Nobody's born with the ability to 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 carry themselves with a great deal of confidence. Confidence is a is a situational thing, and it develops over time. And the more you understand yourself, and you more you understand the world around you, the more confident you will become, and the more comfortable you'll be in your own skin. So there isn't a place where you go and open the cupboard and, and find your confidence and wear it like a cape and then walk out into the world. It's not, you know, this is something that takes years and years to develop. Were you always confident or was this something that you developed over time as well? I think I was always confident, but as I've grown older, I guess I've learnt to have a good reason to be confident rather than just being confident. <laughs> I think that's a good distinction. I suppose there's a question of, is the bar for everyone? And, you know, what sort of person should consider a career at the bar? Who will do well? Good question. I mean, I think that's probably one of the most pressing questions for a lot of young people. The bar isn't for everyone. It's not about being clever or determined enough or so on, but it's just a, a whole package about your abilities, your knowledge, your experiences, your focus and your luck. And those are all factors that come together to decide who should really be pursuing a career at the bar and who shouldn't. I knew being a barrister wasn't for me because I hate public speaking, but what are the qualities and abilities you're talking about? What qualities do people need? I think you, you need the ability to, obviously public speaking, ability to be able to engage with various people from completely different backgrounds on their level without talking down to them. The ability to synthesize, digest, and then disseminate vast amount of information very quickly. The ability to work extremely hard for a very long time on unbelievably dull things. And that is a skill in itself. Your ability to focus on something so minute that you are not lost in the details, your ability to just cut through the mustard and get straight to the point and say, this is the issue here and this is the problem. And and much, much more that I could keep going. But those are the main things really, is the analytical, the the oral speaking skills, your human information digestion and your ability to be empathetic and, and ability to, to to communicate with all sorts of people. Yeah, they sound really important. And I mean, a lot of them are shared with solicitors as well, but there are a few there that I think are unique to barristers. And what advice would you give a younger version of yourself? Or if you were starting again now, kind of what would you say say to yourself? What would you do differently? Gosh, what would I say to a younger self? Um, be more adventurous, be more ambitious, take bigger risks. It will all work out in the end. 
That was Hashim Mohammed, planning and environment barrister, broadcaster, and author of the book, People Like Us, What It Takes to Make It in Modern Britain. Um, what did you make of that, Bridget? How did you find that? Yeah, it was it was really interesting. I know how she talks about, you know, going for coffee dates and, and ringing people and sending emails, and sometimes that's fruitful. 90% of the time it's not. Um, but it's exactly what I did when I came over. So I came over, uh, I'd worked for a couple of years in Australia. I came over to do a master's, but I also needed a job because it's expensive to study. And I had a couple of contacts, people I hadn't met, but sort of knew through other contacts, um, who were barristers and lawyers in London. And I sent cold emails. I, I did exactly what he said not to do, which is to send emails saying, hey, I'm I'm a random person that you vaguely know. Would you, you know, be interested in meeting up for coffee? I can do photocopying. I can do whatever. And most of those emails came to nothing. But one ended up sending me a, a job advert and I applied for that job, was interviewed, was successful. And that was the job I had before I worked at the BBC. And so sometimes, I mean, that's a happy story. Sometimes these things don't work out and I've definitely had embarrassing coffee dates and, you know, no show coffee dates, but I re- it really resonated with me when he said, you know, sometimes you've got to, as you say, like take risks and put yourself out there. And I can, I can remember the, the coffee shop. It's um, this tiny little coffee shop in, in Bloomsbury. And it's one of those, you know, we all have these stories or these kind of points in our lives that end end up being they're small at the time but they end up being really significant and for me this little coffee shop where I met this this barrister who ended up pointing me to a, an organization where I ended up working weirdly this little coffee shop is like a big part of my life now so it's obviously your lucky your lucky place I guess yeah exactly does that mean if I ever see you in there you're, I know you're looking for another job yeah exactly yeah <laughs> don't, don't tell my boss yeah <laughs> yeah exactly I mean the other thing that he really touched on was, was kind of the skills a barrister needs and that was one of the things that um that I always find interesting because I was always especially when I was a trainee I was always a bit kind of in awe of barristers because I'd chosen as I mentioned kind of Tahashi that being a barrister wasn't for me because public speaking wasn't really for me mm. and obviously doing a podcast is a bit contrary to that um but I, I just was amazed at kind of how they would just stand up in the middle of court and be able to intervene in an argument having not prepared this particular point for example and make a perfectly articulated point mm. um, you know better than you could have better than I could have said it for example despite the fact I'd worked on the case for six months and they'd been aware of it for six days or whatever and I find that find that so amazing that they could just stand up and think on the spot and, and intervene and, and kind of say it so in such an articulate way um, and that was such a such an important skill but I think that's something you learn isn't it I mean what did you think no totally but I, I mean I think I think I think you're right that you learn it and and obviously firstly I'd say I think that's that's bogus I think you're a great public speaker um <laughs> I've definitely seen you speak at a speak at work so boys and girls don't listen don't listen to Kush I'm definitely in awe of some of the barristers. I mean, you and I, you know, others in, in BBC Legal and obviously solicitors working in firms and for government often instruct counsel. And as you say, sometimes you then do see them in court or in acting for you in tribunals. And I agree, they're incredibly articulate. But I think it's important to recognise, as you say, that that stuff comes, that confidence and and. Um, also stamina, I think, comes from practice. Um, and I'd say to anyone who's maybe nervous about public speaking, it's not all of the job of being a barrister. A lot of the work, as 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 you know, is is you know being a a subject matter expert and understanding procedure and how a courtroom works, um, and the confidence of being on your feet. I think it's not something you're born with, is it? It's something you you learn. 
I'm sure it comes with practice, as you say. And I guess a lot of the skills are shared with solicitors, aren't they? I mean, Hashi talked about the idea of processing complex information and being able to articulate it, you know, very clearly to your clients and so on. And I think, I mean, obviously for, for our jobs as solicitors. Yeah, no, absolutely. Did you ever think about going to the bar? Not really. I always thought it was quite glamorous, but it didn't right. really appeal to me in the sense that I just, just the thought of kind of standing up in court was was way too scary for me. I was much happier. Okay. I'm the kind of person who likes to go away and think about a problem for a couple of hours and kind of write it all down in, in a quiet room and then come back with an answer. Um, the idea of kind yeah, of coming up okay. on the spot in a second, it didn't really suit me. How about you? Yeah, I thought about it. Uh, to be honest, I think I think the uh, the demands, the time demands are pretty overwhelming and is they're probably the factor that, to my mind, um, suggested I might be better placed in as a as a solicitor, although I'm I'm not qualified in the UK. So I should say I'm a lawyer in the UK. You know, I like to clock off and uh, you know kick, kick my feet up. Um, so being constantly kind of on on call to a client, I think, is a big um, can be can be really like thrilling. I imagine. Um, and, and knowing the ins and outs of, let's say, if someone's working, like assisting the BBC, understanding a client and their needs really well, I imagine is really rewarding, but very time consuming. Yeah, it must be, it must be incredibly, um, intense. I guess those periods where you have a hearing, mm. like how she was saying, and you're kind of working for an intense period. Um, and then you can, I guess, decompress for a bit potentially if you're, if you're lucky. If you want to work for yourself, I guess, as well, because yeah. that's quite an interesting aspect of it, isn't it? Mm. The whole idea that you have to bring in your own work and you're, you know, you're not employed as, as you and I are. You're mm. kind of, you're, you kind of have to eat what you kill, if that's what I'm embarrassed to say, which is, uh, obviously I'm vegetarian, so it doesn't apply to me. But, um, <laughs> I mean, did you ever consider kind of setting up your own business or being an entrepreneur or working for yourself or any of those oh, things? Oh, absolutely not. I like the comfort of an employer. <laughs> it's funny because entrepreneurship, I, I feel like it should be my blood because, so there was an article in The Economist a, a few years ago about how Gujaratis, which is the part of India that I'm from, um, are the most entrepreneurial people in the world, apparently. But it didn't really apply to me clearly because I ended up being a lawyer at the BBC. Um, it's just a fascinating part of, of a barrister, I guess, and, and, and their life is that they have to bring in the work. And I you know solicitors... In private practice, it's also the case, isn't it, that they mm. have they do a lot of what they call business development um, in terms of kind of pitching to clients and trying to win work. And I remember doing that and quite enjoying that part of part of work. I mean, that's like a form of advocacy, isn't it? That's kind of I imagine there's a bit of public speaking yeah, involved completely. in that in in client meetings and do, you know doing presentations to get new work or retain existing clients. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, it's not too late either. I could still set up my own business, maybe Just use those skills. What would you do? What would your business be? Oh, I have I have loved open up a cafe that would be quite oh, cool vegetarian yeah, yeah that would be quite cool i think what about you if you were to open up a business what would you what would you do i'll just come and eat at your cafe <laughs> you can work from my cafe oh wonderful wonderful if you want to hear more about life as a barrister do listen to the chat we had with mossin zadi in the first episode of the podcast and if you want to know more about becoming a barrister check out our last episode with daisy from the inner temple which is all about how you qualify as a barrister finding the funding and whether the bar is really a bit Hogwarts. Don't miss out on our new episodes. You can find them on Apple, Spotify, Acast and everywhere you find good podcasts. It'd be a huge help to us if you could like, maybe leave a review and definitely subscribe. And you can also find us on Instagram. Just search NotAllLawyersPod and use the hashtag NotAllLawyers. This has been Not All Lawyers Have Law Degrees from the BBC Legal Team.